Hey there, friend. It's Stephanie Krevins, your host of the Hot Mess Hotline, where we have conversations with executive level leaders so that mid-level leaders can learn to think like entrepreneurs. Ooh, we are you in for a treat in my conversation with Armando Lanuti today. He is the president of Creative Works. He values creating memories with his family above all else, and he does that in his job. Creative Works, if you're not familiar, they design the interactions, the experiences in your family entertainment centers. So think laser tag, think digitized mini golf and putt-putt. They do amazing things. They are the genius. They are the teams that when you go to amusement parks and when you go out to create memories with your families, they have designed that for you. They're unbelievably successful and amazing and creative. And I've just loved getting to know them throughout 2020. So I want you to listen into this conversation. If you're thinking, what in the heck just happened in 2020 and how do I move forward? Because Armando and I, we had our conversation in September of 2020. We were already debriefing the lessons learned from that time. So I want you to listen in to what Armando and his leadership team has learned during this last hot mess of a year. You're going to hear what they experienced going from full out sprinting success in the first quarter of 2020 to an absolute dead stop. What does that do to a business? What does that do to their systems and processes? What does it do to your people to have to go through that? They were on a growth trajectory like nothing they'd experienced before. They were building upon years and years of success. And when we got to know each other in early 2020, we were working on processes and relationships and leadership for amazing growth. And then ah, screeching halt like the rest of the world. What do you do? What, what do you take away from that? Listen in to our conversation to hear that. Also, you're going to hear the lessons learned from when you're too successful, when you're growing too fast, when you're trying to do too much, when you get too comfortable in doing really great things. And what does that do to a company? What does that do to leadership? And how do you need to recalibrate that? So when you're being really successful, I want you to remember these lessons. Also, I want you to hear from Armando what intentionality did for their team, what it did for the company over 2020, and how it's going to propel them into the years to come with even better systems and processes. And one of my favorite parts of the conversation is when we apply a new use of the Pareto principle. So if you're not familiar, my friend, the Pareto principle says, basically it's the 80-20 rule. That's how you know it, right? 80% of our behaviors result in like 20% our results. 20% of our behaviors and our actions are connected to 80% of our results. We came up during our conversation with a new use of the 80-20 rule. I want you to hear this and apply it in your team and with your people. All right, my friend, let's dig into Creative Works and Armando's Hot Mess. All right, Mondo, tell me about your hot mess. Oh my gosh, the the hot mess that uh, that we're dealing with right now is change, right? Like mm. the the world has changed, we've changed, and so now that we're kind of coming out of the initial reaction of COVID and the pandemic and government shutdowns, uh, right now we're trying to figure out what is the new 
normal and the cliche way for our industry and what that's going to mean for us. And we're trying to figure out, um, you know, what can we do with the staff that we have and the team that we have, Mm -hmm. uh, because we're, you know, we've downsized, you know, in reaction to everything. Um, we've had some crazy shakeups, you know, my, my business partner, as you know, unfortunately passed, Mm -hmm. um, here recently. And so, you know, I'm dealing with the loss of a, of a mentor and a friend and the person that this business was started with. And, you know, I think there's just a lot going on from that standpoint. And right now, I think one of the biggest things is we don't know how this is going to play out for our entire industry, mm-hmm. but we realize that, you know, regardless of what is happening in the moment, things haven't changed with regards to like, people still need to celebrate. People still need to escape from what's going on possibly now more than ever. And that is what our, our tractions do. And that is what our customers and our clients do at their facilities. It's just a matter of when is that going to return, right? When, when is the public going to be comfortable going back into a venue, you know, and it's indoors and all that kind of jazz again. Yes. And I think it's coming in some States. I think it's, it's very regional right now. Some states are more open to it than others, and part of that is based on how the the government has reacted, how the breakouts in those areas or the the number of cases in those areas. And so I think that we're going to see parts of the country where we're already seeing things return to normal, such as in the Midwest for the most part and uh, and parts of the South. And But you've got con- – uh, not countries. I'm sorry. You've got states like California. It's as big as a country, it seems, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, or like New York, where they're still completely shut down, right? Or mostly still shut down. And so we're seeing these, you know, quite the dichotomy in the situation for some of our clients. And that just provides a lot of unknown. I think that's probably the biggest hot mess that we're we're dealing with right now is mm. we have a relatively confident feeling about the long-term future. It's getting between point A and B right? Mm -hmm. That we're, we're dealing with right now. And I think that has resulted in a lot of strategic planning that we're having to do with our leadership team, with our departments, with staffing, with our product rollout, different verticals we want to go in. And so that's kind of the, the, the nutshell of the, of the hot mess, uh, from that standpoint It's just, you know, we feel confident of the future. It's just, how do we get to the future at this juncture right now? You know, we, we only had like one one client through all this, you know, cancel it all. Uh, everybody else has moved forward or just delayed. Nobody's been like, I'm done. That's great. News. And that's been awesome for yeah. us. And then the biggest thing that we've started to finally see is that our new projects coming in are now matching, you know, our cash flow going out. So we're, we're at that magical, you know, break even line, Woo-hoo. uh, which is always great. Yeah. Right. Happy but now we, time. Now, yeah, now we just <laughs> got to figure out how to get back into the growth mode, right? You know, we had grown 300, 350% in the course of three years between 2016 and 2019. Mm. And so to then basically have how this year has played out, you know, the we're, we're going to drop by, you know, 40%, 50%. And that is, that's a big drop, yeah. right? For... Uh, you know, we'll still be bigger than what we were in 2016, but we're, you know, that that's all we're bigger than. And, you know, we've got still the overhead of the infrastructure that we've created. So that's one of those other hot messes that we have to resolve is that, 
you know, we have to find ways not just to break even. That's great in the short term, but we've got to find ways to get back to profitability and growth again because of all the infrastructure investments that we have put into place. And again, I feel very confident about it. It's just a matter of navigating the unknowns between now and then. Like what's going to happen, be, you know, this fall when the flu season and cold season kick back mm-hmm. in again and everybody's mm-hmm. just going to be on high alert you know, how's that going to disrupt business, right? So we're already trying to plan for those kind of things on like, well, what happens if we lose key people for a week at a time, not necessarily even because they have COVID, but there's just that heightened sensitivity to it. Yes. And some of our team members can work remote, but not all of them can. And so that creates a delicate balance of sometimes last minute changes or planning where, you know, somebody's supposed to go on a trip somewhere. That's super helpful. Uh, Let's break down... I mean, you just unveiled multiple hot Yeah, there you go. Messes. You said you oh, said hot mess, and so it. I'm like, well, let's <laughs> let's throw some spaghetti at the wall. Yeah. How many layers? <laughs> See what sticks. How many layers? What, what intrigues you? <laughs> well, and so for our listeners' sake, we are recording this in September 2020. So um, many things have unfolded yet this, or many things have unfolded this year, but not the entire year has unfolded. And so we'll be sharing this in early 2021. So let's break down first for our listeners. You're in the family entertainment industry. Yes. That term is new to a lot of folks yet. They've experienced what you do. So can you set the stage for our listeners, for our mid-level leaders who are listening saying, okay, when I, when would I have interacted with your brand? Yeah. So that's a great, great question. So a lot of people don't realize a company like us exists. Mm-hmm. They they walk into an entertainment venue or location-based entertainment, and it might be a bowling center, um, laser tag, mini golf, something like that, all the way to a museum, a casino, uh, a resort, a theme park, you know, and everything kind of in between. And somebody's got to make all the cool, cool stuff. I, I, I don't know. I didn't want to swear. I didn't want to like... Oh, you can an totally issue there. Okay, I was like, so somebody's got to make all the cool shit, right? Where? Like when you walk <laughs> in and you're like, wow, who built that 16 foot tall robot? Well, that's a company like us, right? And, so cool. you know, we, we get this opportunity to create memories. Like that's our why is simply that we want to create those memories for people. And so that is when you go and you get to play laser tag and you get to enjoy that with your family and your kids uh, or for yourself, or you're going and doing an escape room, virtual reality, uh, or sometimes you're just standing in the queue line, right? Going into a ride or an attraction. It's us or a company like us that are creating those experiences, right? And creating that level of immersion so that you can forget about whatever's going on in your daily life. Like yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. And so for folks who are listening in the corporate setting, maybe a corporate team building activity at an escape room or a bowling alley or a laser tag that creates that emotional connection between you and your teammates, you and your family. There's multiple ways to experience that. Okay. That's really helpful. So let's unpack all of this. So right now you're at a place of inconsistency, dichotomy, another unknown cold and flu season on top of a global freaking pandemic. Yeah. I mean, you're in the middle of a messy middle. Like this is just... <laughs> Funky. Very much so. <laughs> and, and it's interesting that you also use the word global there too. So mm. we are a global company. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're, we're based in Indianapolis, but it's not like we're, we built this, you know, $20 million company and 70 employees at what we were prior to the pandemic building stuff only in Indiana, like 95% of our product goes outside of the state and about 20% of it goes out of the country. Mm-hmm. And like that part of our business is like just completely done at the moment, mm-hmm. not because 
people don't want that product or don't need that product there, but we can't go there. And you know, that's the hard part. Like I can't send somebody, we just, we literally ship the project to Dubai and you know, because they want to have it on site in case restrictions lift, but you know, we can't afford to send somebody to Dubai, have them quarantined for 14, 15 days there in the country right? to then be able to work, to then come back here and have to quarantine for 14 days, right? Like, like it, in a project that might normally take seven to eight days, we're now adding a 30 day buffer mm. to it. And that's just not practical, no right? Especially when we're now working with a smaller staff. So Especially like that part of our business piece. is hurt. Like, yeah. I mean, the install piece, while that is unique to you, knowing what, knowing to, how to install your creative work, yeah. um, there's folks that can do that for you without yeah. a 30 day delay. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, sometimes people are like, uh, you know, we'll go to a different country or even, you know, here locally and they're like, well, why can't you get somebody local to to install your stuff? It's like the, the level of intricacy and the artistry mm-hmm. and the com- composition of it all. Like we need our designers on site, you know, our muralists, you know, they're able to make amazing, amazing artwork in a small amount of time, yes. right? They will go into an attraction and they'll, you know, we, we use the term sometimes blow and go, but like they'll literally blow and go and do this amazing mural that looks phenomenal that they're able to knock out 4,000 square feet of, of wall space in a matter of a week, hmm. right? A lot of artists, you know, they'll sometimes apply for a job and they'll show us this mural of scale and we're like, oh, that looks awesome. How long did it take you to do? And they're like, oh, it was like a month long project. We're like, well, that, you don't have the skill set to work at the speed of, you know, of creative work, so to speak. Yes. And so it makes it hard because we can't just subcontract a lot of stuff out we have to be able to do it ourselves oh my gosh so many good things so tell me we got the infrastructure issue to dig into we've got your dear founder and friend and mentor has passed away on top of all of this i mean this just this year just fucking sucks man it just sucks yeah it is it has been uh it's one of those things where like i I literally i was having a, a conversation with a good friend of mine um this morning on the way in and we were just talking about how like the news cycle of everything that's happened mm. in this year is bananas. I mean, if you go to how 2020 kicked off, it was like, it was all about like the, 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 you know, are we going to war with Iran, the fires in, you know, oh, Australia, Australia, right? That's not even in our perspective Mm-mm. right now. Mm-mm. Like so much has happened in 2020 unlike any other year i feel like that is just it's a lot for anybody to deal with yeah. and and to try and plan and figure out their mess then you add in you know some of the personal grief that that people are having to deal with mm-hmm. you know ourselves included and anybody else out there and it just it's definitely a whole nother layer of of mess so to speak oh, yes yes so when we first met in january i mean we were preparing for a monster year together to yes. do some amazing work yes. to just make awesome even more awesome. Talk to me about what you've, because you came into 2020 and, you know, one of your goals was to ramp up and wrap up some infrastructure that you had invested in to make 2020, 2021 and beyond even more successful. Talk to me a little bit about how, as a company, did you feel ill-prepared to face what you've been asked to face in 2020, regardless of all the prep that you had done to be successful this year? So how, how do you, it's hard to figure out where to start. So as I mentioned at the beginning, like 
we had experienced so much growth between mm-hmm. 2016 and 2019 that we engaged, you know, you and wanted to work with you, for example, in a 2021 or 2020 setting us up for 2020, we were looking at as like, let's not grow another 35% in a year. Like mm-hmm. we have for three years, you know, straight getting us, you know, to the, to the growth that we had and in, in, in the 300% growth, like let's t- tame that down and set a foundation for the future. Because one of the things that happens when you grow that rapidly that we were, um, already, let's say ill prepared for was the things that you do at a 20 person company yes, and a $7 million size are different than the things and the processes that will make you successful when you're three times that, yes. you know, at 75 people and $20 million. And we were starting to see the cracks in that foundation. Right. And so we were preemptively going, Hey, let's slow down. Let's do a little bit of a reset, at least through the first half of 2020, so that we can then hit the ground running faster, right? Like let's let's repave the streets, so to speak, <laughs> yes. and get rid of the potholes that are starting to form, you know, from from the speed at which we were moving. And then, you know, and we had, you know, cash reserves. We had, you know, we were still growing relatively organically. We were, you know, thinking that we were getting ahead. We had just purchased another 15,000 square feet of space on a lease to be able to give us some room to grow. And, oh, my gosh, did this just hit us out of left field? Mm -hmm. Now, we started to see, because of the uniqueness of our industry, we started to see the effects a little bit earlier than most, which is good because it allowed us to pivot quicker Mm -hmm. and, and make changes faster, you know, for better or worse. We had a lot of team members that, that you know, and, and even a couple of clients that we made upset because we pulled them off the road at the end of February, beginning of March. And we started to cut hours and we even started to, unfortunately, you know, do some furloughs and some reduction in staff. And we had some people that were frustrated with us, like very frustrated with us. And then all of a sudden, like a week later, the entire country shut down. It was like stay at home orders, full quarantine. So it all ended up being exactly as we were planning for, but it it just, that's still never what you, no business expects to go from, you know, 60 miles an hour down to five miles an hour, (laughs) let alone we were at a hundred mile an hour pace, figuring out how to, you know, slow down a little bit, but we didn't expect to slow down like that. Like, I mean, we use the analogy a couple of times in our early sessions where like, you know, we're, we're growing and, and we're trying to figure out what to do. But we're like building the car as we're going down the racetrack Mm -hmm. at 200 miles an hour (laughs) on the speedway. Right. And we were like, how do we get better at that? How do we how do we improve that? And that's what we originally started off our relationship to do. And man, did this just, you know, change things so, so fast. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter. The like I said, I mean, we had relatively large cash reserves. We were a debt free company, you know, and everything going into this and. I mean, it, it hit us like a Mack truck, you know, and the, the revenue literally went from, you know, what we normally expect to less than 5% of what we would normally get throughout the rest of March, all of April and all of May. And that is just not something that I don't think any business is prepared for when it's not for any of your own doing, Mm -hmm. right? I think Mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing, whether it be us or anybody else out there, this was 
so far out of our control, right? Yes. We don't have any control over the county or the state saying, hey, nobody can go and work. Nobody can go to the places that you sell to, right? So there was literally like business went to nothing and it wasn't through anything that we could have yes. done to fix it, right? Yeah. I think that was the biggest thing that hit us and, and any of us out of that. Like I, I stayed up like nights after nights trying to figure out like, what could I have done better? Like, mm-hmm. how could I have prepared more for this? Mm. And I just, I don't know how, how you can do that. And, and that, I think that was the hardest part in March because I am such the, like, I do this business to help other entrepreneurs who are trying to run their business. And mm-hmm. I do this business to help the people on our team. Like, that's why I don't do it for the money. I do it for providing betterment for others. And that goes back to just who I am and how, how I unfortunately grew up and like to have to lose people and have to make some of the tough decisions that we had to make in that moment Mm -hmm. was devastating, right? It was just absolutely devastating. So it was like just completely lost for what we had to do. Yeah. What did you experience from your team? I mean, you're going through this stress, you're staying up. I mean, you're the CEO, you're ultimately responsible. There's no one to blame. There's no one to hold accountable for this besides just stepping up to the plate and making it happen. What did you experience from those around you during this very, very messy no, I think the, the thing that we've experienced the most is um, we experienced a consolidation of our team, but the team that was here were the ones that were all in. Like they were the ones that were committed to make it work, to make some of the tough decisions, adjustments, you know, within their departments, which are almost like many businesses. And they were the ones working the long nights and helping us figure out what is the path forward. And that was just absolutely phenomenal. Like, and, and it wasn't just the leadership team. Like, obviously that's where it started. We had to start making those, those plans early, but our leadership team stepped up and they were absolutely phenomenal, but it, it went further than that. Like it went down, down the stream of our different production managers and team members there and all of their teams where we were starting to look at, okay, well, hey, we've talked about certain upgrades and changes and what 2020 was about to try and reset the the foundation and repave the road, right? A couple of the analogies I've used, mm-hmm. but it was always hard because we were going 200 miles down the track. So yes. what we started to do is we started to go, hey, we're no longer going 200 miles an hour, right? The engine's broken. We have to stop <laughs> and we have the opportunity now though to rebuild it. And that's where we... we had for years kind of dabbled in looking into lean manufacturing, the Toyota way, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And we started figuring out, well, how do we adapt that to what we do? How do we find those improvements in our processes that will add up, right? Sometimes people mistakenly look for the one big change and not realize that if I make one or 2% improvements in a dozen different areas that it has a compound interest kind of effect, right? In that investment in in what you're doing. And our team just bought in whole hog. Mm -hmm. Like we rearranged entire departments. We, you know, looked at a lot of the sacred cows or the, the old ghosts of how we used to do things and just started asking our question of like, why, why does it have to be that way? Why are we doing it that way? And the the answer can never just be, well, that's because that's how we always did it, mm-hmm. right? And what we found is that there were a lot of things that, again, they worked in the past when we were a smaller company, mm-hmm. or they worked based on old data or 
or bad data, then we were living in a new world. And so just to see everybody from our leadership team all the way down to like, you know, our wood team, like we had a core group while everything was in, in shutdown, like we had a group of like six or, or eight people that came in and they just literally tore our shop apart and like made a bunch of upgrades, made some, some restructuring into the flow of the shop to make it easier. Because we also knew that we had all this business that was still going to have to happen, right? Like this was the conundrum that, that we weren't expecting is like, okay, well, we know we're going to be shut down now based on the state's proclamation for roughly the next 60 to 90 days. But we had all these projects that were supposed to happen during that 60, 90 mm -hmm. days. Right. And then we had the projects that were already scheduled to happen in June and July and August. And so what it created was this buildup of projects that need to be delivered as soon as we could. And then that created another hot mess of, well, logistically, who goes first? Is it the person that was supposed to get installed in April, but, you know, wasn't able to? Or is it the person that was already scheduled to be installed, you know, July 5th, mm -hmm. and they haven't moved their date? So, like, it created a lot of weirdness that we had to navigate with our clients, internal production. And so we had to find a way to become more efficient because we were also going to be doing it with 20% less staff. Yep. And that was just the the amount of investment that our team had in reacting to like, okay, next man up, how do we improve? How do we make this work? What are the things that have always bugged us that we've not had the time or the ability to fix mm -hmm. and that would, you know, what can we do? And as tough as it was, we also had to make some investments, right? Like that was one of those things where a lot of people not that we didn't batten down the hatches, not that we didn't look to find places to cut costs where there were unnecessary scrappy. costs. Mm -hmm. We had to get scrappy. We had yes. to bootstrap a little bit. But at the same time, we had to go, okay, if we're going to rearrange this space now, and while it's torn down, and while this space is not up and running, what do we need to invest in right now to make sure that when it is up and running again, that it's rock solid. Mm -hmm. And we had some great partners that worked with us on some product and some investments. And it was just like, we need to make sure that we're ready to grab market share, so to speak, while everybody else is retracting. And we found that, you know, some of our competitors are already gone at this juncture mm -hmm. and we don't want to be that. And we want to make sure that we're, you know, eating off their plate, so to speak, at this this point. Not that I want anybody to have gone out of business, but the, the business is now there. There's opportunity yeah, there. Yeah, there's definitely mm -hmm. opportunity in a downturn. Totally get it. This season of the Hot Mess Hotline is brought to you by my Hot Mess Quiz. One of the common lessons that my clients learn during coaching is how to really evaluate a problem dissect it for clarity, and then take action on the tasks that really move the needle. The Hot Mess Quiz can bring you that focus too. As a leader, your work life is full of, well, work. But according to Pareto, 80% of that work isn't even impactful. If you need to create growth and change, you need to focus in on what truly matters and what will drive new results. Take the Hot Mess Quiz by clicking on the link below, which is stephaniecrevins.com forward slash Hot Mess Quiz. You know, just like this podcast promise, and this is in the real world too, what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real? 
That's what you're going to get in this report. It's going to be tailored to your business hot mess to tell you exactly where to focus your efforts first and then how to bring your team along to get the change that you need to create. Go to stephaniecrevins.com forward slash hot mess quiz. Don't wait another minute to start becoming the pro troublemaker you've always wanted to be. Before we transition to talking about lessons learned and how you have turned the opportunity into success at this point, tell me about the mindset that you had, particularly from mid-March to the end of May, where I just felt like, I mean, the world was on a big pause and we kept waiting for, well, the next week it's going to open up and in two weeks it's going to, well, okay, maybe now a month it's going to open. I mean, everything was so uncertain And depending on your mindset, you were more optimistic about when it would open up than others. But what was your mindset as the CEO for this company when the world was just on pause and the rest of 2020 remained a huge black hole of unknowns? Resolve, if I was to to try and put it Mm. in a one word, like I just, I had to have a lot of resolve. I had to have... um, a level of confidence in not only our team and that they could adapt to the new challenges in front of us, but I had to have uh, the confidence in, you know, our company, our industry. That was also the time where, uh, unfortunately, like the, the health of my partner had started to really, you know, take a turn for the worse. You know, he came uh, out here for basically, so he had moved to Arizona for treatment and, and whatnot, and they've been out there for a couple of years now. Uh, and they came kind of for a, a last visit, so to speak, of mm-hmm. the company they had built, knowing mm-hmm. that he didn't have have much longer. And I think the 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 best thing that that resulted out of that, or one of the best things that resulted out of that, is we were already at that point knee deep in some of the changes that we had, were making to the lean process and to the improvements in the company and just having his confirmation of like, like you guys are on the right track, mm-hmm. like that, that he was so impressed with the changes that our team had made from top to bottom. And they were changes that he had talked about for years that were just not able to be implemented due to time or opportunity or willpower or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm that that is what we had to look at this as an opportunity for is like, look, things will return. We don't know exactly when like we, and, and that created a lot of, again, frustration with our team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were basically doing an every two week kind of update to the, the team that were, that were, you know, furloughed because we have a lot of makers, right? So all the makers that are the artisans and the carpenters and the sculptors, like they need to have their hands on a product mm-hmm. to be able to to make and they need to have the ability to be in our our shop to do that uh based on the scale and the size of the things that we make it's not like they could just go paint something at home right and the 20 foot gorilla doesn't well, get made yeah, in somebody's garage yeah, it doesn't work that way right <laughs> the 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 giant cactus rocket that we have going through the <laughs> shop right now is just it's not gonna it's not gonna travel in the back of a Subaru very easily uh, to get back and forth, right? And so, you know, that was I think one of the the more strenuous times is right is like you know they they want to work and mm-hmm. the the team wanted to be able to be 
you know, back at the shop and, and we just, we couldn't because the government was like, you can't, right? We were able to have a small core group under the exemptions for building maintenance, yeah. but that was capped and that's all we could have. And we weren't allowed to be doing production or anything. And so and it wasn't the right thing to do. And we it wasn't the right thing to do. You. Like not, mm-hmm. not that we would have like, you know, we looked at the loopholes, right? Like, can we qualify as an essential company in some way, shape or form? Mm-hmm. But it just from, you know, one of our core values is integrity. And it just, we weren't like, we were not an essential company and that hurt us. Mm-hmm. And we had some clients that were mad because of the delays that it ended up costing because they were like, well, construction in my state is considered and manufacturing in my state is considered essential, mm. but it's not in ours, right? At least not the type of manufacturing and construction that we do. Right. And so that, that's one of those other things that really was difficult to navigate is, is each state's rules were different and it shaped the perception of those people in those states. And so that's something that somebody who's just, you know, living here in Indiana may not have realized that somebody in even a neighboring state like Ohio or Illinois could have a completely different view on the world and Mm. what they were able to do and what they were, you know, not able to do. And then you spread that out to all 50 states and it makes, you know, a massive difference. And I think that that was the the key piece in that, you know, March to May time frame is just like there was so much unknown, you know, schools getting canceled, having to adjust that as well. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds silly, but that dramatically affects your workforce. Of course. You know, everybody went from, you know, expecting to go into maybe a spring break that got extended by a week or two to, hey, we just went into a 20 week summer vacation. Right. <laughs> and you know, there, there's a whole lot of sanity that was lost by, you know, parents everywhere and, mm-hmm. and having to deal with that. And so like, there was just a lot of, a lot of change. Like, I think one of the things that, um, I think helped us is that my background in school, uh, you know, before coming to creative works and before my operations in the entertainment industry, uh, was in computer programming. And, you know, uh, and then I also worked at a software company for for several years. And there was there's a a mindset in computer programming that started to get adopted in a wider business sense now outside of the computer and the programming world of agile, right? Yes. And that is just this idea that yes, you need to have a roadmap, you need to have a plan, but you need to be able to turn that ship yes. right and, and adjust dramatically. And the fact that I had that men's mindset, that our team had that mindset. I think was invaluable to our ability to change. And although we, we ruffled some feathers, maybe making some of those changes earlier than people expected, Mm -hmm. they've been the right choices, you know, and and realistically, some of them we probably should have even made sooner. And, you know, that's some of the clarity that you get with hindsight. Of course. So let's pause there on the hot mess. Mm-hmm. You've you've revealed to us multiple layers that Creative Works has had to do. We deal need with. like a three hour podcast for this. <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> so many. We'll have you back in September 2021. There we so go. Kind of like an update. Full story. What, what happened? Yes. Let's turn the conversation to all the opportunities that revealed itself mm. during the same time frame and what's ahead for Creative Works because you spent the time to invest when you had the opportunity to pause. Yeah, I think some of the opportunities, um, I I talked about one of them already, and that was just that ability to reshape the flow of of our entire process from Mm -hmm. sales all the way through to our design team, our engineering, into fabrication, and find ways to improve our our capabilities. And 
we have found that we're now able to produce at a you know similar clip to what we were doing before again with 20 percent less people i think that's something that, that that maybe some businesses for better or worse are, are realizing that they had you know some opportunities for leaning out not just their processes but some of the staffing that they have mm-hmm. right not that i want anybody to have ever lost their job but you know it, it's amazing what our team has been able to do uh, through those processes. I think other opportunities have been, you know, to pick up projects from, from competitors that have not been able to survive. They've not been able to adapt. We've started to look into other verticals, uh, and start to make inroads there, um, that we just, you know, we make a lot of, like I said earlier, like we make some really cool shit and we have some amazing talented artists and tools that just other people haven't done. And, you know, we were, we were the big fish, so to speak, in our industry or one of the bigger fish in our industry. But one of the things that we've started to look at is, well, where do these tools translate into cousin or sister industries, mm-hmm. right? And how do we start to provide product and services to those areas that they just don't know we exist? And, you know, when, when they're trying to find things and, and we've dabbled in that in the past, right? Like, We've done stuff like we were part of the the molding and the sculpting of the Peyton Manning statue, you know, outside of Lucas Oil Stadium. And nobody would think of that about what we do based on our core product. But, you know, we were able to work with Ryan Feeney on that project and, and he did some amazing work on that. And, you know, like what are things like that where instead of being maybe accidental projects, we're a little bit more intentional about going after those opportunities that we hadn't before. And I think that that's one of those big opportunities that we're trying to work on and, and see, you know, for that. And, you know, one of the other areas is that we've helped a lot of people build their business and create the attractions for it. And my background when I came to Creative Works, you know, back in 2008 was, you know, operations. I've been running a center. And one of the things that I originally came to Creative Works for was to help build a center. But we just kept growing and growing and it never became a hot enough priority with all the other growth to ever stop that portion of our business and pivot and do that. Mm. Well, we've started to use this time to be like, nope, we need to make the time to do something along those lines. If for nothing else to have a place to just better test what we do before it gets out in the field, right? So we're going to create a couple, you know, local uh, facilities here that'll have some of our attractions and pieces in it. And partner with other clients that we already have in the area too and provide them some, you know, cutting edge, you know, things so that we can get just that much better at at what we do. Yeah. Oh, a creative works showroom. Ah, yeah. Well, it's funny. (laughs) We used to have one. So like our our building where our paint department and our finishing room was, we had basically nobody knew this. We had like a twelve thousand square foot showroom of an entertainment center that nobody ever got to go in and play. Oh. Like it was literally like you just walk in and oh it's a lot of really cool stuff. Giant robots, pretty pictures. We had a mini golf, a laser tag, laser maze, all this kind of fun jazz, escape rooms over there. But they were just a showroom for when people would come into town and for us to do testing. But when we grew so fast in 2017, we had to rip all that out for an extra production space. Mm. Right. And so we just relied on some of the local clientele that we had to be able to test certain things there, but we weren't able to do it at the same. It's one thing when you can literally walk across the street and make whatever tweak that you want. If you break it, who cares? Yeah. Right. If it didn't work exactly as you need to, it's not, you're not affecting somebody else's business. And even though 
we would have a risk of disrupting our own business. If we own the facility, it's our own business that we disrupted, right? <laughs> it's not the same as if we, we messed up, you know, one of our local clients, you know, projects. Um, and so I think that there's, there's definitely some opportunity there that, that we're going to fulfill, you know, with that. Mm. So I hear a lot of great opportunity on the sales front, marketing front, mm -hmm. what opportunity revealed itself? You mentioned redesigning the production and, and, um, carpentry areas. What other opportunities do you see now, um, in more of the operations of creative works because of COVID and what I happened? think one of the biggest opportunities that I've seen, and, and I don't know if this is, uh, is widely applicable to everybody else, but, but I think it is. Um, you can't fucking do it all by yourself. Mm. And so although we had a leadership team in place, I felt like I had to make all the decisions that I had to do a lot of the things or have to have a hand in a lot of stuff, mm. even if the tasks were delegated out versus one of the opportunities I've seen is I check in with my leadership team. I ask where I can help. I ask what they want help with, what they want advice in. And occasionally, don't get me wrong, I'm sure I still stick my nose where it doesn't belong at times. But I think one of the opportunities that I found in our operations is giving them the runway to experiment and to play and to adjust and just making course corrections, not necessarily with you know a heavy hand, but with a light touch. Mm -hmm. And they have really taken that ownership on and they've passed that kind of responsibility down to their own team members as well. And I think that that is where, as part of this lean process, we've found so many operational improvements because they felt the that they have the autonomy to make the change that they've always wanted to make, but they never felt that they had the ability to make. Mm -hmm. And that has led to so many improvements in our company and our process. And look, they're the ones in the trenches every day. They're the ones that are building these amazing props and these attractions, not me and not even our leadership team. Like they're still a level or two removed. So making sure that we're taking that feedback and applying it mm -hmm. and giving that, that runway to make the changes. And I think that has been one of the biggest opportunities that we've seized upon and that has made a massive improvement. You know, and I've talked a lot about efficiency and capabilities, but it's also quality like the quality of some of our products mm. that are coming out today compared to what they were coming out at the end of 2019, I just think is better because they've made the refinements that needed to be made. And, and that's just going to improve us long-term as well. How have you seen your mid-level leaders and below take on new responsibility and accountability because you've been willing to not carry such a heavy burden? No, I mean, it, they, and I feel like I'm beating a little bit of a dead horse, but like it, part of it is just that ownership mentality that we've provided to them, right? Mm -hmm. Like they have adapted this lean mentality. They hold meetings every day. It's not me running the meeting for the company, you know, every day. It's rarely even our leadership team members. It's the individual team members. And it has allowed them to take a different perspective. Now, some of them, they don't like leading the team meeting because they're nervous. They're, they're an introvert, mm -hmm. but it's also allowed them to spread their wings. And some of the people that maybe you wouldn't have assumed were going to be a great, you know, meeting leader for the week have just 
knocked it out of the park. Like they really have. And they've had this anxiety and they've had this concern of it. But they have stepped up and they've done it in great ways. And you can tell that they're nervous, especially in that first one on a mm-hmm. Monday, right? Yes. But then they get to that, you know, they get to, we, we run four ten, So they get to that Thursday meeting and all of a sudden they, they, they they're, you know, a kid in Candyland. Like they are much more comfortable. They are much more, you know, just able to project and do what they need to do. And I think that that has just, again, it's shown that when they're doing that to their peers and they're leading that with their peers, it's then allowing that next person to feel like they can do it too. Like that's just a real simple like example of where everybody all the way down the line has, has stepped up, you know, from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. What, you know, one of the things I experienced with companies that have been successful is they start overspending, they start buying more things that are nice to have versus must have for a business to be truly be successful. What do you feel are the opportunities to remain scrappy as we continue through 2020 and beyond? Oh, we were, we were that company. Don't get me wrong. We we were that company where it's like, you know, we're doing really well. We got stuff coming in. Like we got plenty of reserves. Like let's go do this. Right. Mm -hmm. And we definitely made purchases and decisions that were, not as fully vetted out as they probably should have been mm. because we were in a comfort zone, right? Yes. We were we were in that 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 mode where it's like, ah, even if it isn't exactly what we needed or if it doesn't pan out perfectly, like eh, we can absorb the loss if we needed to, right? And it's a dangerous place to be in mm. because it assumes continued growth yes. and that is going to be there to cover for that loss or that mistaken choice. And had the pandemic not happened, we wouldn't have learned these lessons Mm -hmm. and we would have kept going down that path because we were, even with a plan to slow down our growth a little bit, we were still on a great trajectory and the, the pandemic and how it affected us, like it just, all of a sudden it allowed us to start going back in. And one of the things that I've always been a proponent of, but we we hadn't fully implemented in the right way is making sure that we're making decisions from a data standpoint and we're doing our due diligence mm-hmm. versus anecdotal, you know, decisions that we were making at times uh, because we felt like we didn't have the time to, to, to fully vet out a, a situation. And what we found is that not making the time or the expense of not making the time was greater than if we would have made the time. Mm. Right. And so that is one of those things that even coming out of this and as we're starting to ramp back up, you know, we're making sure that we're, we're taking the time for those, those things We're we're going through, you know, what we call a PDLC, which is a product development life cycle process. When we're trying to determine, should we make this change? Should we go down this path, et cetera, for a new product? And versus just like, yeah, let's, let's see, because the let's see might lead to 50 to a hundred thousand dollars of R and D time and testing the materials that doesn't pan out. Right. Or that we have assumed how a client or a guest might interact with our product and, and not what they really do. And so what typically takes place or what took place, it's not that we ever put out a bad product, but it would require so much additional effort potentially after the fact to make corrections, to make the client satisfied that now with a more intentional and thought-driven process earlier, 
we are going to have less of those return trips, less of those things that we need to fix and get right, you know, but just like anything, it still takes reps, right? It's you, you've got to get those repetitions in. you've got to get, you know, the, the fifth escape room that we, you know, installed went way smoother and produced went way smoother than the first one did. Of course, because we learned so much along the way. We just want to shorten that learning curve and try and learn a little bit more before we get out the door with the first one, right? And I think that that's that's been super important for us. And learning like, okay, we because of time, we can't just stop at the first answer, right? Even if it might be a sufficient enough answer, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right answer, right? It's, you know, good is the enemy of great, right? And that was sometimes happening where it's like, I got to this answer, it was good enough, so I didn't continue going down that path because I don't have time. Yes. Well, we need to make sure that we're making that time. I think that's one of the biggest differences that we're trying to do. Now, we're not perfect. It's not something that I'm not going to say that every decision gets fully vetted in the way that it is because we're still human. We still fall, you know, into some of the habits that we're, you know, we're having to slap our own hands to to make sure we don't keep putting it in a cookie jar when we're on a diet, right? <laughs> but it's it's one of those things that I think that we're trying to make a much more conscious and intentional effort doing. Yeah. This season of the Hot Mess Hotline is brought to you by my Hot Mess Quiz. One of the common lessons that my clients learn during coaching is how to really evaluate a problem, dissect it for clarity, and then take action on the tasks that really move the needle. The Hot Mess Quiz can bring you that focus too. As a leader, your work life is full of, well, work. But according to Pareto, 80% of that work isn't even impactful. If you need to create growth and change, you need to focus in on what truly matters and what will drive new results. Take the Hot Mess Quiz by clicking on the link below, which is stephaniecrevins.com forward slash Hot Mess Quiz. You know, just like this podcast promise, and this is in the real world too, what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real? That's what you're going to get in this report. It's going to be tailored to your business hot mess to tell you exactly where to focus your efforts first, and then how to bring your team along to get the change that you need to create. Go to stephaniecrevins.com forward slash hot mess quiz. Don't wait another minute to start becoming the pro troublemaker you've always wanted to be. What would be your advice for other, as the CEO, for other mid-level leaders in your company and other small privately held businesses, what do they need to continue to make time for as we evolve out of a global pandemic, the social unrest of 2020, and whatever the next few years bring us? I think the biggest thing that everybody needs to make sure that they do is to continue to improve themselves. I think that it is something that even in the best of times you should strive to do, but you definitely need to do in the worst of times. Yes. It, invest in yourself, whether that is um, you know, time, um, money, uh, whatever the case it may be from a resource. And even though it might feel scarce right now, you need to switch that to an abundance mindset when it's about yourself. And that could be education, learning, skills, health, et cetera. And it's just, it's so important to make sure that you are investing in your own growth mm-hmm. and that you don't allow that to drop off and you don't become mopey. You know, it's really easy in the middle of a pandemic. Everybody just binge watched Tiger King. And don't get me wrong, we've 
we've got our own Tiger King and Russ on our team, right? And some of the poses <laughs> that he, he put out on social media for, for giggles and to make people laugh. There's a time and a place for that, though. Yes. Right? It's not that you can't have those indulgences and those things. It just can't be all the time. Yes. Right? You've got to make sure that you're finding the time to improve yourself because that's how you're going to survive something like this, right? We we got to a point when we were growing that we, for instance, went hugely down the path of specialists in many, many positions. And some of those positions have to stay specialists because it's so unique to the skill that they do for sculpting foam, for example, right? As an easy, or, or some of our, our muralists. But we need to have more generalists. And that's something that especially we got on the away with, side. especially on the corporate side, yes. especially on the office side. Like we need people to wear many hats mm -hmm. and because things are changing so fast, we don't have time to onboard ramp up every single individual skill set that we're going to need. And we don't have a full-time position for some of the skill sets that we need. Mm -hmm. Right. So we need to be able to have one person that can fill, you know, two or three roles of skills at different times and they need to have that flexibility. And I think that that's another big change that we've made even on the production side where we've got a couple teammates now, you know, they can go from our finishing department to our wood department, to our foam sculpting department and back and forth versus just like, you're only in this, mm -hmm. this peg, right? You're only in this hole. Now I can actually move you around and based on the flow of business and the projects that are happening. And it's just giving us a lot more, you know, ability to, to dynamically react to what's happening in the business in that agile mindset. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That makes sense. How would you advise another business owner to know, and even a mid-level leader on their team, how do you know when you need more of a generalist? How do you know when you need more of a specialist? What tensions created there? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know that I've, I've dialed that into, to perfection yet. I think one of the the things that that we're fortunate is at least on the on the artistic side is it's similar to many musicians where they're able to play multiple instruments like they may not be able to you know sit in first chair right in every inst instrument on mm -hmm. an orchestra right but they can pick up that instrument and because of their natural talent and knowledge of how music is played they're able to do that we have the same thing that happens on the production side quite a bit mm. where it's like the same talent that they might have an eye for detail in woodworking might also lend itself into foam sculpting right and might lend itself into painting or other things along those lines again they may not have that full skill set but not all products and projects require that, right? Right. They might be able to do some of the other, you know, lesser detailed items. I think that that becomes part of that differentiator on do you, you know, on, on either side of our business on a generalist or, or potentially a specialist is how much detail needs to go into the, into whatever it is that you're doing, right? How much knowledge do you have to have? You know, do you need somebody to do your books, let's say on something more mundane, that is at a MBA with a CFO level, or do you need somebody that's like they, but that, that has a full understanding of QuickBooks and accounts receivable and accounts payable and P and L's and balance sheets. They can manage 
the, the 80%, right? Yes. I think it's it, it might be more of using that 80-20 rule, so mm. to speak, of determining if you need that specialist versus a generalist. If the vast majority of the work can be done in that 80% rule, then I think that that's where you go. You heard you know? it here, friends. Mondo and I just, well, Mondo just made up a new rule, a new application of the Pareto <laughs> yeah. principle. Exactly. <laughs> I think that might be a, a good way to potentially look at it. Is, that makes is, great Do you sense. need to go that extra 20%? And we, we use that mentality on a lot of our product development too, right? The first version is what's the MVP, right? Prove that the concept works. Yes. Prove that you've gotten to that baseline. And there's a lot of work that goes into that first 80%, but there's just as much work that goes into that last 20, mm -hmm. right? To get all the details right. And so like, I think it's just looking at it like that too. That makes great sense. What do you wish, what do you wish that the mid-level leaders knew about being in the CEO's shoes? Hmm. That's a tough one. I think the, the hardest thing about being at the top of the company is that there's almost nowhere to go, right? Mm -hmm. With your concerns or your fears or your questions at times, mm -hmm. right? Like I've- Is it a loneliness very, it, then? It's, it's extremely lonely at yeah. the top, right? Yeah. And it's one of those things where you can have a great relationship with your team and your leaders, but there's a lot that you end up having to just internalize and deal with. And now I've tried to- be as proactive as I can and work with, you know, mastermind type groups and mm -hmm. a business coach and stuff like that to try and navigate and have at least somewhere to bounce certain things off. But, you know, we, we can't be in a situation, you know, everybody else, if you, if you go all the way downstream in, in any company, there's somewhere to go up to, right? And you have an issue, you have a complaint, there's somewhere to go typically to be able to try and get some assistance, get some help, vent, solve a problem. Mm -hmm. There's there's very few places to go, right? And that's one of those things like, I have a phenomenal relationship with my wife, but when I have a tough day at work, we might talk in generalities, but I, you know, because there's a lack of, let's say contextual detail sometimes, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you can't even fully explain why you're frustrated because of the amount of time it would take to give all the context and all the detail to get somebody caught up because of all the nuances that can happen, right? And so even, you know, with a, a spouse that you're close to, like you might not have that outlet, right? To mm -hmm. be able to talk or, or even close friends and things like that. And there's just, there's a different perspective that, that you have when it's like, hey, if this doesn't work, I lose everything. Right. Like that's a big difference between even somebody that's, you know, on on a leadership team that's in a management level, but all the way down to to somebody at, you know, that's that that's in production or in design or in support and IT that's on our team. Like the the worst case scenario, not that this isn't a horrible scenario, don't get me wrong, but is that you need to go find a new job. Mm -hmm. Like there are other jobs, even in a bad economy, there can be other jobs for you to go to, mm -hmm. right? And there's there's relief that you can get. If this doesn't work, I'm not just going out and getting a new job, right? right? Like I will have to find another way. And because of the, you know, the debts that you do have to take on to make it through stuff like this mm -hmm. and for the growth that you have and 
or the contracts that we've signed, you know, that are out with our clients, like all that comes back to me. Yes. Right. And so I think that that there's just a different weight that you carry. Now, everything is proportional though. Like I am one of those people that has a great amount of empathy. I, uh, one of the best words that I've learned in the last two years is a word called Sonder. And so what Sonder is, and, and I'll tie this back around to, to where I was going with that. Sonder is the idea that as you walk through the world and you are sitting at a stoplight, this car next to you, right? Or you're sitting at a restaurant and there's a, another family or a couple or whatever sitting over there. They're the extras in your life, right? They're the people, you don't know their names, you don't know their background, you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's the real realization that their life is just as complex and nuanced as yours, Mm -hmm. right? And that's one of those things that's never been lost on me in the empathy that I have all the way down to the person that might've only been hired at the company a couple of weeks ago, right? Is the things that they have going on in their life, regardless of what I have going on in mine and the weight that I feel at the CEO level Mm -hmm. are just as important and just as complex and nuanced as mine, mm. like whether it is dealing with kids at home, a marriage at home, lack of a relationship at home, who knows, parents, siblings, problems, addiction, who knows? Mm-hmm. Like they have just as many nuanced issues that may not seem in my world to be at the same level, but they are in theirs for good reason. Yes. And I think that that is just something that I think separates the mindset of a CEO like myself versus many others that are out there is I have that empathy. I understand that they have just as many hurdles that they're navigating and um, that they're having to climb over as I do. Mm -hmm. It's just scale is different. That's all. It, It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't mean that theirs is any less important than mine. And I think that that's something that gets lost on it. And I think that that's part of the reason that we've survived and that we had a team that reacted the way that they have is because that that comes out in the culture that we've created, right? And again, we're not perfect from that. And we've had, you know, just like every company, we have our swings up and down. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the benefits that we give our team and the culture that we try and create is is that we do value everybody, you know, down to the newest person that's on the team and we try and provide that for them. And I think that that is just a different perspective that a lot of other companies, you know, don't have, right? And 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 owners don't have. It's it's all just either about the bottom line or about themselves and and a select few versus like no, it's got to be about everybody. Yes. And that's been, that's been loud and clear in our work together. And you said early on, like people are number one mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, well, we'll see how this plays out. Cause everyone, every, lip service, yes, right? A every, lot of people, it's lip service. A lot of companies, a lot of top leadership say our people are our top asset. I mean, so cliche, but you, you all have lived that. And it was evident in the graceful ways that you help people transition out, help people gracefully transition in during all of this. What would you say as the CEO is your top lesson that you've learned so far about everything you've been through? I think that something that I have as, as a motto, um, 
or a methodology that I've carried through a lot of aspects of my life is that you have two choices, you know, when something happens to you. Mm. Um, you can use it as a crutch, you can use it as an excuse, and you can use it as a reason why something didn't go right. Or you can use it as a springboard, as motivation of an opportunity that you can still take. And I think that that is something that that is hugely important to me. And that if I didn't have that mentality, I don't think we'd be here still. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just don't. I I think like many other companies that um, we would have folded. You know, and instead we persevered and. Um, you know, I literally have the Charles Swindell quote, um, you know, hanging in my office intentionally that is, you know, life is, is 90% or I'm sorry, is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Right. And you know, that's the paraphrase version, but like, I believe that wholeheartedly, like I've had dumb stuff happen to me in my life, but we all do. Like we all have things that happen that are out of our control that are from positions of power or accidents or random acts of God, whatever you want to call it, everybody deals with that. Mm -hmm. The question is, how do you deal with that? How do you react to that? Mm -hmm. If you go down the path of woe is me, then you're never going to seek greatness. You're just not. That's right. You, you, you have to go down the path of this was an opportunity to learn this is an opportunity to grow. And that is, that is how you have to take that. Like, you know, it is, it's just a different mindset that you have to have. And I think learning to make, I mean, the, this is one of those times where it's challenged that mindset, right? At times. And where it's like, are you really true to your convictions and is it lip service or not? That's right. Right. And you know, this is everybody, can say what they want in the best of times. It's a matter of how they act in the worst of times, yes. right? And what that's you really when you get to really see who they are mm-hmm. and who that group of people are. Yes, absolutely. Well, you've inspired me to look into this notion of Sonder. Yeah, it's um, awesome. That's fantastic. The other piece, the, the other layer that I'll add on to that is it's never lost on me how interconnected and connected we are and how the universe, God, whatever label you want, you know, listeners want to use there brings us together for a reason. And so I'm un- unbelievably grateful that we've been brought together and we made some really wonderful work happen. And to be with you all through this process has been a huge blessing in my life. So thank you for allowing me to be part of the journey and then also sharing your story oh, for with sure. other listeners here. Thank you so much for, for all that you've done for our, our company and our team. All right, my friends, that's my conversation with Armando, the president of Creative Works. Here are my top takeaways from our conversation. One is you have to accept reality for what it is, right? You heard about Armando and his leadership's team being willing to say, okay, this is, you know, we were going full speed. We had to come to a dead stop. Let's readjust our infrastructure to match who we are now so we can move forward with intentionality. Second, am I right about the use of the Pareto principle, right? That 80-20 rule as it relates to when to know to break out a job for a generalist versus a specialist. So if 80% of that job can be done by a generalist and 20% of it needs to be a specialist, keep it with that one person. But if 80% of that job truly needs to be done by a specialist, move it to a new role. And as your company and as your team evolves, 
Use that framework to think about when to add new people. And third, when Armando said, if you break it, who cares, right? There are too many sacred cows in our organizations that hold us back from growth. So keep these lessons with you, my friend, for the next two years of disaster recovery as we continue to move out of the impacts of COVID-19 on our workplaces, on our economy, on our clients, and on our cultures. Keep those three lessons in mind. And wherever you're listening to this episode, I would love to hear your feedback, your comments. What are your top takeaways from Armando's lessons from COVID-19 and the year that was 2020? All right, my friend, Eric done, and I'll see you next time. 